Issues Etc. listeners are needed to vote for President of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has the right to vote through a pastoral and a lay voter, two voters per congregation or parish. Voter registration must be completed by Midnight Central on March 19th of 2023. Request to be a voter at your congregation for president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Now pay close attention, little children. It's somebody you ought to know. Yeah, it's all about a man that walked on earth nearly 2,000 years ago. We think about it as the birth of the church, although I think it might simply be maybe the birth of the New Testament church. The church goes back all the way to Adam and Eve. So what happened when the Holy Spirit manifested himself among the disciples 50 days after the Passover? What happened on that Pentecost? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to teach a Sunday school lesson on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Pastor Tom Baker. He's host of a radio show called Law and Gospel. For almost 30 years, he met monthly to prepare his Sunday school teachers for the classroom. Tom, welcome back. Yeah, thank you. What was the day of Pentecost in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, they had a number of feasts, and the day of Pentecost, it was celebrated as the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So they would take the first of the wheat and sacrifice it to the Lord. This occurred 50 days after their celebration of the Passover. And that's why it's called Pentecost, because that word means 50. Now, later on, it also became a remembrance of the law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. So both items are involved in the season of Pentecost. How does the Holy Spirit manifest himself among the disciples on that day? He manifests himself, according to Acts chapter 2, with a mighty wind that came. Now, it's important to understand that the coming of the Holy Spirit did not just come to the apostles, but we read in the previous chapter 1 of Acts, verse 15, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120. So there were male and female people that were together in one place, and there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were. And then divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, fire is associated with God, of course. He had a pillar of fire to lead the Israelites through the wilderness at night. Then you also have that fire appeared over the mouths of angelic spirits. And so some people would say that the fire appeared on the mouths of the disciples who were experiencing this mighty wind. And it says, verse 4 of chapter 2 of Acts, they were filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. How should we understand that speaking in tongues? Yes. For some time, I would preach at various congregations throughout the country, and every now and then I would have some time either before the service or after, and I would attend non-Lutheran services. I attended a Pentecostal service once just to see what they did. They think that speaking in tongues is speaking language of the angels. It's an unknown language. And then they had people there who tried to interpret the speaking in tongues. But it's very clear from Acts chapter 2 that the speaking in tongues there were known foreign languages because there were a multitude of people had come together for the Pentecost celebration. And it says in verse 6, they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And verse 8 says, And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then a number of individuals are shared with different languages, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors before Rome, both Jews and proselytes. So not only Jews, but also those who had turned to Judaism who were Gentiles, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And so this was a real miracle that the disciples were able to speak in the tongues of people. We do that today. In the old days of missionary work, let's say we would go to a certain land, and we, of course, were Germans, Missouri Synod. We would try and teach the people the German language so they could understand us. Today, we do it differently. We go to their land and learn their language and therefore translate the Bible into their language and do sermons in their language. When I had the opportunity of being in Siberia teaching Russians about law and gospel, I would speak in English but then I had a woman who would interpret what I said into Russian. So each lecture took longer, of course, but that's how they came to understand the message of law and gospel in those particular areas that I had been privileged to serve in. So why are the crowds confused at first? Well, they're confused because it even says that some of them and this is verse 13, while most of them said, what does this mean? Others mocking said they are filled with new wine. So those were probably people who didn't understand those other languages that were being said, and it sounded like gibberish to them. And so they just did not 
understand and were confused by what was going on on that day of Pentecost. How did Peter then respond to those who were mocking them, accusing them of being drunk? He said, verse 15 of chapter 2, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Now, that means it would be about 9 a.m. And so Peter is making the point that people didn't drink that early and they wouldn't be drunk then by then. And instead, what they are hearing is something else. And that is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, J-O-E-L. Now, this, this is really very, very good because this Sunday in the epistle reading from Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul asked a question about what was important about Abraham. Before he answers the question, he says, for what does the scripture say? Now, this is critical for pastors and teachers of the word of God. We best teach the word of God. In fact, the only way to teach it is by quoting what the scriptures say. I'm doing two adult instruction classes right now. And when I teach what Luther Catechism says, I make the point that each phrase in the catechism is actually a quote from scripture. So if you want to know what the catechism means, you look up that scripture and then use the principle of scripture interpret scripture to help you understand those verses. So that's what Peter does. He begins a sermon about Jesus Christ by quoting the prophet Joel, reminding us of Jesus that we talked about two weeks ago on the road to Emmaus. How did he explain to the two disciples the necessity of his death and resurrection by quoting from the Old Testament? Uh, Very, very important that God is the author of both the Old and the New Testaments, though he uses a number of writers, prophets, and apostles to write those books that are found in both the Old and the New Testament. So what does Peter preach about Jesus? What he preaches about Jesus is the fact that he is coming, and in those last days, his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will be poured out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. There will be wonders in the heavens above. Verse 21 is most important. And it shall come to pass that everyone, and I want to emphasize everyone, who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, that means to believe in Jesus Christ. Because in verse 22 and on, he talks about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. 
had mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. This Jesus, who was delivered up according to the definite plan and knowledge of God, foreknowledge of God. In other words, his crucifixion was not an accident. It was something that had been decided from before the foundation of the world, that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, would become human flesh for the purpose of dying. He was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up. That's talking about his resurrection. And he even quotes from David, where David talks about the resurrection. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So he quotes with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. But being a prophet and known that God had sworn with an oath to him, to David, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And so Jesus did go to hell after his resurrection to proclaim victory to those who were in hell, which were the unbelieving people from the time of the death they had in Noah's flood. And therefore, it was very important that Jesus made that victory speech. And that's his descent into hell. He also experienced hell on the cross in the sense, my God, my God, why have you left me alone? And that was to suffer the punishment of our sins. So Peter uses Old Testament verses to speak about their fulfillment in the New Testament about both his dying and his raising from the dead. Pastor Tom Baker is our guest for teaching a Sunday school lesson on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We'll find out how the crowds responded to Peter's preaching next. When defending a biblical doctrine or practice, have you ever been accused of not caring for the lost? I've written a column in the latest issues, etc. journal titled Playing the Mission Card. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Jeremy Lamont recounts his slow and sometimes painful path out of Mormonism to the Lutheran Confession. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. 
Are you looking for the historic liturgy of the Church and the true sacraments of our Lord administered rightly? Then we would like to invite you to Zion Lutheran Church in Pampa, Texas, where the Lord gathers us around His gifts of word and sacrament, and where heaven and earth come together. If you live in or are visiting the Northeast Panhandle of Texas, we welcome you to the Divine Service at 10.30 a.m. with Bible class and Sunday school at 9.15. Come join us. Have you heard of the nuns? I'm not talking about Roman Catholic women who wear habits. Rather, I'm talking about those who mark none on religious preference surveys. It is the fastest growing religious group in the United States, and it's something we need to pay attention to. The March issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up this question regarding where they come from, what they believe, and how we can point them to Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of their sins. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness. Visit witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Christological, Creedal, Confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office. My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin, preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy. We're giving a Sunday School lesson on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 from Pastor Tom Baker. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to Issues Etc. Folks, we are exactly 40 days away from Easter Sunday. Why not send your family members, friends, fellow parishioners an Easter card from Ad Crucem? These cards contain great Christological content and beautiful artwork. Learn more at adcrucem.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Tom, how does the crowd respond to Peter's preaching there at Pentecost? Well, when they heard this, it says they were cut to the heart because Jesus had been crucified by them. And they asked the question, what shall we do? Now, see, that's the normal question that you would ask when you are caught in sin. What shall we do to get out of this sin? And children do this with parents because they know there's going to be discipline, so they have to endure the discipline. But Peter doesn't tell them anything that they are to do. He tells them instead something that God is to do. 
He says, repent and be baptized. That's in the passive. In other words, baptism is not an act that the people are doing to save themselves. It is an act that God is doing. And every one of you are to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to note, and that's what has done a very good job in the Enduring Faith CPH material. They make the point that the day of Pentecost is actually a reversal of the Tower of Babel. Remember, people were trying to build a tower to get to God. And of course, God gave them foreign languages so they couldn't understand each other and complete the project. Now at Pentecost, God gives foreign languages to complete his project of building up the Holy Christian Church from the day of Pentecost by giving people faith to trust the promises that are found in the Bible concerning the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. So this is very, very important that the Sunday school teachers get that distinction across that today the crowds responded to Peter's preaching. They were baptized. And guess what? The baptism resulted in salvation for 3,000 people. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which would be the Lord's Supper, and to teaching. And that's because Peter said, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Those are Gentiles. And in that way, those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day 3,000 people to the Holy Christian Church. How does the Holy Spirit manifest himself among us today? Today, we have the wonderful privilege of being to baptize even infants. It's called the sacrament of holy baptism, which means a holy rite which God has instituted. You see, Jesus won for us many benefits at the cross. But how do we receive those benefits? Do we receive them by doing some good work and God praises us for that and therefore gives us this gift? No, we receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit through the rite of baptism, or many people also receive it as they hear the word of God spoken, such as the epistle reading for this coming Sunday from Romans 4. You can't read that without recognizing how important Jesus is, and people come to faith in that. And even when they come to faith, they are still encouraged to be baptized, because in baptism, you receive an assurance of salvation Whereas before you're baptized, you may be a believer, but then you have to rely on your faith. And that's tough because we sin a lot and we might think we don't have enough faith to be saved. But once you are baptized, 
God makes a promise. He that believes, that means has faith, and is baptized shall be saved. That's a teaching throughout the Holy Scripture. So the Holy Spirit works with us again and again. We encourage people to come to church. When I do a sermon, I have two parts to it. The one part is telling them something they never heard before. And the second part is leaving them with the comfort of the gospel. But that first part in telling them something they never heard before, how can that be when, for example, I must have read the entire Bible at least four or five times, going to the seminary, etc. But I think on a scale of 100%, I only know about 40% of the Bible. Every time I open up a new book on the Bible, I learn things that I was unaware of as scholars dig deeper into the original languages. And therefore, you never stop learning things from the Bible. And that's why it's important to attend worship service every week, not only to be strengthened by the liturgy, but also by the hymns, which have tremendous phrases in them, the readings from the Bible, the sermon, and the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which promises the forgiveness of sins when a person is confirmed and receives the Lord's Supper properly. And that means that the Holy Spirit is working not only in baptism and the Lord's Supper, but in the hearing of the Word. What should the Sunday school children know about the person and work of the Holy Spirit? They have a kind of interesting item in the Sunday school material that the Sunday school teachers should bring a fan into the classroom. And you turn on the fan and wind blows on you, but you can't see it. That's how the Holy Spirit works. Pretty good object lesson that the Holy Spirit is blowing on you when you hear the word of God, when you pray to God, when you read the scripture. You may not be able to see the Holy Spirit, but he is working within you. And that's why our Pentecost is celebrated 50 days after Easter, which is usually the seventh Sunday of Easter. And as we recognize how opposite it is to the Tower of Babel, we recognize we can't do anything to reach to God, but God reaches down to us all the time through his word, through his sacraments, through public worship, etc. And that's why the second commandment and the third commandment are so important, not to take his name in vain, but to use it properly and to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. What is the law and gospel of this lesson? The law is that we think that we can come to trust in God by our own will. There's actually Christian denominations that make this error. They say you can choose to believe in God. Well, you can't say that to an unbeliever because an unbeliever has no ability to choose. Instead, as you tell them the word of God, the Holy Spirit 
can impress upon them through the giving of faith, the truthfulness of the word of God. And therefore they believe in the gospel. And anyone who believes that Jesus Christ did die on the cross for their sins and is raised from the dead for their justification, they are declared with Abraham to be justified because they believe the promises of God. And that's how the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts as we hear his word proclaimed. Pastor Tom Baker hosts a radio show called Law and Gospel for almost 30 years. He met monthly to prepare his Sunday school teachers for the classroom. Tom, thanks. Thank you. Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Ginger Duggarvulo about her journey out of Bill Gothard fundamentalism. We'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, discussing the faith of the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 with Pastor Peter Bender and its media coverage of religion with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, The third commandment teaches us to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We do this when we hold God's word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Jesus invites the weak and heavy laden to rest in him, our true rest, because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. This weekend, rest in Jesus as you hear his word and receive his gifts. If you are in Southern Illinois, you're invited to join Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstadt to rest in the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Learn more at trinitymilstadt.org.